Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 48 Hours ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Need more true crime in your life? An Audible membership can solve that. Audible is the ultimate destination for thrilling audio entertainment. As an Audible member, you could choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog. Don't miss The Serial Killer's Apprentice by Katherine Ramsland and Tracy Allman. It follows the true story of how Houston's deadliest murder turned a kid into a killer in training. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash 48 hours or text 48 hours to 500-500. That's audible.com slash 48 hours or text 48 hours to 500-500 to try Audible free for 30 days audible.com slash 48 hours. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. It took nearly 24 hours to recover all the bodies from inside the ruins of Rhode Island Station nightclub. Horrible things happen to people for absolutely no reason. The death toll was far greater than anyone expected. We went out on a Thursday night to listen to music, drink some beers, and have a good time. And a quarter of those people didn't get to go home, ever. This is what I live with. I don't hide it. Second and third degree burns over 34% of my body from the heat. I'm lucky I even have arms. It was a neighborhood club for live music. The people who went to that club were regulars. The headliner was Jack Russell's Great White. You really had to work your way through the crowd. It was packed. I'm standing, you know, three rows back from the edge of the stage. We're just waiting, and then it gets dark. The music starts. The pyrotechnics went off, and I remember being a little shocked. It just felt really big. And I just sort of noticed some flame on the walls on either side. And then it just kept, it kept growing. When that fire alarm went off, that's when I said to myself, this, and I remember the words, this isn't, this isn't good, this is not going to be good, this is bad. It went from zero to 10 in what seemed like a second. And then the building's, you know, completely engulfed. We have a mass casualty incident here. <laughs> 
We are fully engulfed, fully engulfed building. We have people on fire inside. There are a lot of walking wounded. Literally laid there, said, God, just take care of my family because I knew I was going to die. 100 lives were taken, more than 200 people were hurt. It's hard to describe the level of agony. The state of Rhode Island is small, and it feels like somebody knew somebody who was in that fire or knew somebody who did. And so the pain is very personal. We realize there's very little we can say that will provide comfort to the thousands... No one meant for this to happen. Brothers Jeffrey and Michael Dadarian, co-owners of the club, are both charged with involuntary manslaughter. What is your reaction to the indictment? Taking responsibility for your actions goes a long way. And you don't feel the brothers have ever accepted responsibility. True. People who were key to understanding this tragedy had remained silent. Why are you sitting here talking to me? I think we're sitting here talking to you because we wanted the full story to come out and that for people who want to, come to their own conclusion on what happened that night. out of bed, grabbed my clothes, grabbed my keys, hopped in the car, and took off. On February 20th, 2003, at about 11.10 p.m., Jody King got a call that something was going on at the station nightclub in West Warwick, Rhode Island. But he didn't know what. I gotta find Trace. He was worried about his brother Tracy, who worked there as a bouncer. As I went by the fire station, fire trucks are coming out. Now the question in my head is, why are all these fire trucks leaving? When Jody arrived, he saw the devastating scene. I see the horror, and it was ugly. The roof was caving in, walls were caving in, body after body in front of me. I don't even like to talk about it. It would become one of the deadliest fires in a club in U.S. history. It should not have happened. It was completely preventable. Scott James has written a book about the tragedy called Trial by Fire. I decided I would just start asking some questions. Describe the station nightclub for me. What kind of club was this? It was a typical kind of roadside dive. These are videos from prior performances taken inside the club. It smelled like spilled beer and stale cigarettes. And everything was just a little bit frayed at the edge. But it's fun. The night of the fire, hundreds of people gathered at the station to see Great White, an 80s band, now with some new members, led by singer Jack Russell, known mainly for their hit, Once Bitten, Twice Shot. 
They had their moments, and they played the arenas. That was in, like, the 80s. But, you know, they have a following to this day. Were you a fan of the band Great White? Yes, definitely. Linda Saran was a regular at the station. That evening, she had a girls' night out with a friend while her young daughter was at a sleepover. The night of the fire, I got in for free. I was asked to work the merch table for the band, so I was getting 40 bucks and two T-shirts. And I was paying staff pricing for beer, because I knew a guy. Also there that night was Bates College student Phil Barr, who was home for winter break. You know, just have a beer, see a concert. Phil, who was in his junior year, had dreams of a career on Wall Street and swam competitively for his college swim team. I loved it. It was really everything to me at that time. Unlike many of the patrons there, this was Phil's first time at the club. He arrived early, around 8.30 p.m. There really weren't that many people around early in the night, so I actually got a really good sense of the layout of the venue. When people arrive, they walk through this entrance and this kind of longish hallway. You'd see on your left a horseshoe-shaped bar. This was the main bar where you could get your drinks. To the right was this much larger space in front of a stage. You have four exits. There's an exit near the stage. We have an exit through the kitchen, one near the bar, and then the main exit, that hallway where everybody came through. The station was owned by brothers Michael and Jeff Dedarian. They're speaking out about the fire for the first time. Their story starts three years before the fire. Either of you know anything about running a nightclub? Zero. No, no. Couldn't play an instrument. The Dedarians bought the club as an investment. Jeffrey was responsible for all of the marketing activities, and I was responsible kind of for the day-to-day. Both the brothers had other jobs. Michael owned a financial services business. We're live in Wakefield tonight. I'm Jeff Denarian. Jeff was a local news reporter. Every time. For years, he'd worked in Boston for Channel 7. We're live in Attleboro this morning. I'm Jeff Denarian. At the time of the fire, he had just started a new job, closer to home in Providence, at the local CBS station. That night, he allowed a cameraman to shoot footage inside the club for an upcoming story about safety in public venues. How ironic is that? Unbelievable, right? Right. 48 Hours is not showing any of that footage, but that night, leading the cameraman around was bouncer Tracy King, a dedicated husband and father of three young boys. He was gregarious, he was out there, and he just loved being in the center. Tracy liked to entertain people with his unique talent. A surgery to correct a childhood ailment with his ears left him able to balance objects on his chin. Tracy King, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Tracy he went on King. David Letterman twice to do stupid human tricks. You're going to balance it on your chin? Yes. All right. When he walked into a room, if there wasn't a smile, he'd start balancing stuff to get you uplifted and smiling. That was his gift. Jody says his brother enjoyed working for the Dedarians. They were friends. He trusted the club. He trusted the owners. He trusted in his friends. Were you making money? Not really. The Dedarians say despite their love for the club, the business had peaked, and they were in the process of selling it. The club was sold. The club was sold. It was already in contract. 
uh, purchase and sale had been signed. But their plans for the future would suddenly change. As Great White started their first song, their tour manager, Daniel Beakley, set off four large fireworks called gerbs. They are what they call 15 by 15. They go for 15 seconds and they go 15 feet into the air. So it was not a great decision to use these inside a nightclub that only has 12-foot ceilings. Seconds later, flames appeared on the back wall. Most of the crowd thought it was part of the show and didn't move. You know, people didn't react instantly. But Jeff, who was helping out at the bar, says he and an employee tried to get to the stage with a fire extinguisher. We tried to get as far as we could. We couldn't, we couldn't make it. About 40 seconds after the song began, Great White stopped the show, and all but one member of the band escaped through the stage door exit. That exit door would soon be engulfed in flames. The fire alarm, you hear it kick in, and that's when the crowd realizes this is a real danger and we have got to get out of there. Hundreds of people ran to the only exit many of them knew, the way they came in. It's like a riptide. It's a surge of bodies. The fire was now out of control. It had spread along the foam that lined the walls and ceiling intended to dampen sound. The foam was raining down and the flames are dripping from the ceiling. It looked like it was raining black fire. They only have about 60 seconds to get out of that building if they're going to live. A sense of safety is important to everyone, and that's why I want to talk to you about Simply Safe. It's an advanced security system that protects your entire home so you can rest easy. Simply Safe is completely customizable with advanced sensors to detect break ins, fires, floods, and more. You can have 24 7 professional home monitoring for less than $1 a day. So try Simply Safe for 60 days risk free. If you don't love it, you can return your system for a full refund. Plus, we're offering listeners 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect monitoring. Don't wait. Visit simplysafe.com slash 48 hours. That's simplysafe.com slash 48 hours. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Get up to 30% off well-crafted and personalized gifts from participating shops until May 12th. This year, embrace your creative side. You know, the side your mom gave you? And shop Etsy for custom jewelry, style pieces, home decor, and extra special items she'll adore. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. This is what the station fire looked like about 15 minutes after it began. Those who were trapped inside when the flames started knew they needed to get out fast. I remember the smoke descended really quickly. One of those people was Phil Barr. We kind of crouched down behind some of the people in front of us. You could not see your hand in front of your face. That's how thick the smoke was. 
once you could no longer see, it was total pandemonium. Phil was located between the stage and the front door. A lot of people moved back towards the main entrance. It became really clear that we were not going to be able to get out the front door. Since I had been there earlier in the night, I knew that there was at least an exit in the back bar room. That is the furthest exit away from the stage, but it's a relatively straight line. I went around the people trying to push to the front door into the main bar room. I remember getting pushed from behind, and I tripped over what I assume was a bar stool, and I just kind of went down on my face. It became very, very hard to breathe. Lying on the floor, not far from the horseshoe bar, Phil lost consciousness. The bar got quiet because people were dying, literally. And all you could hear was the roar of the fire and liquor bottles exploding. Linda Saran and her friend Deb were in the atrium, huddled together under a table. I said, you know what? We're running out of time. And I knew the window was to my left. So I said to Deb, stay here, I'll be right back. And I stood up, I went over, put my hands against the glass, and I started kicking at that window. And it wouldn't break. I went and laid down next to Deb and just waited to die. Did you have enough time to form those complete thoughts? Yes. I thought how terrible it was that my daughter was going to grow up without her mom. And I heard, and out Deb went. It was like, what? And then outside I went, cold air washing over me. An off-duty police officer standing outside had heard her kicking at the window. He got a tire iron from his car smashed the glass, and started pulling people out. When I first went out the window, I landed on the stairs. I couldn't get up, and I said, my hands won't work. And that's when I noticed the black on my arms. It looked like a ladder of those black jelly bracelets from the 80s, hanging in rings around my wrists. And I took a good look, and I said, oh, I'm burned. I couldn't hear alarms. I couldn't hear noise. I couldn't hear screaming anymore. Phil Barr says when he came to, he felt excruciating pain near the base of his spine and burning on his face. I don't like to talk about it, but I remember feeling weight on top of me, and I'm pretty sure I crawled out from under another person to pull myself up. I ran across the room, and I ran face-first into the wall. And I felt the door, and I just heaved my shoulder into it, and I fell down the stairs out that door. Phil was now outside, but he felt like his lungs were on fire. It was getting harder and harder to breathe. I could feel tightness and constriction in my chest, some bleeding I could notice in my throat. Also outside was club owner Jeff Dedarian. He says he managed to escape through the front door before a stampede of people got stuck in the narrow hallway 
and blocked the exit. I remember we were trying to get people away from the building, like get away from the building. It was happening so fast, 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 fast. That's all I just can keep seeing in my head. And the, 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 the roof and just everything, just fast, too fast. Jeff called his brother Michael, who was in Florida. He's completely out of it, out of it. I couldn't understand him or understand the magnitude of what was going on there. And I'm saying to him, did everybody get out? Did anybody die? You know? And he's like, he don't know. He's like, he don't know. He don't know. Doesn't know. Anybody see Tracy? I have to find him. At the scene, Jody King was desperate for information about his brother and began to fear the worst. I spent the next five or six hours going back and forth in the parking lot, talking to firemen, asking firemen, can you please pull the sheets back for me? I don't care what I'm going to see. Linda Saran and Phil Barr, badly injured, were transported to a local hospital. We have 39 confirmed fatalities. We're still in the process of searching the rubble. It is now well over 50. We're now at 65. Then it may be higher. Can you come in? They want to talk to you. And I'm like, okay. The night of the fire, Jeff gave a statement to the local police and another one to an investigator with the attorney general's office. Remember, I'm still in Florida. Michael also spoke via phone to an investigator. Do you feel, oh my goodness, we're in trouble? No. 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 Why? Because in my mind, I had nothing to hide. If I had nothing to hide, then why, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you talk to them and tell them what you knew or what you didn't know? Three days after the station fire, Jody King finally got the news that his brother Tracy's body had been found. In the months and years that followed, Jody also learned about Tracy's heroic last moments. He ran in and came out nine times in 90 seconds. How do you know that he went in nine times? Nine different families have come up to me and said, thank you for having a great brother. He threw my wife, my cousin, my uncle, my sister out a window. What a great brother you have. You should be proud. I am proud. In the days after the fire, victims' families and survivors faced a harsh new reality. Phil Barr awoke after three weeks in a medically induced coma and was told his lungs had been badly damaged. When you come to, you're in a hospital room. Yep. My dad was in the room. I can't speak. Everything was you know, sore and hoarse. I picked up the pen and in very weak, you know, kind of handwriting, I wrote, I hope to make progress every day. Where'd that come from? don't know. 
true to his words, Phil fought to breathe on his own. And then, ever so slowly, he learned to walk again. But even more than walking, Phil wanted to return to swimming. I asked my pulmonologist, you know, when can I get back in the pool? He was very kind about it, but he said, I don't ever see you competitively swimming again. I refused to accept that as the outcome. About a month after the fire, Phil went home from the hospital. In the following year, he was able to accomplish the impossible and rejoin his swim team. He had an unlikely friend rooting for him. I want to ask you about Phil Barr. How'd you meet him? My hospital roommate, he and I took turns driving the uh, respiratory therapist crazy. In some ways, it's almost like being in war together. Like, you feel that kinship, that, you know, God, I really hope this guy makes it, and yet, at the point in time, I don't even think I knew his name. Like Phil, Linda had also spent three weeks in a medically induced coma. Second and third degree burns over 34% of my body from the heat. I literally baked alive. Then as it heals, the scarring tightens up. So before I knew it, this finger was contractured down in this position, and the rest of them were all bent backwards because the skin had tightened up. So the only way to pick up a can of soda would be to do this. I had no control over my muscles. And that's when it starts to hit you, all that you've lost. And that's when the despair sinks in. That's when you make a decision. Am I going to sit here and cry about this? My friends were dead. My other friends are severely injured. I no longer look like myself, but I made a choice. I'm going to do this. Linda was one of the more than 200 who were seriously hurt in the fire. A staggering hundred lives were lost. Almost immediately, the finger pointing started. Rock and roll is supposed to be fun, not deadly, you know? The morning after the fire, the lead Rock singer of Great out. White, Jack Russell, claimed the brothers had given the band permission to set off the fireworks. We never do anything without asking permission first. No permission was ever requested by the band or any of its agents to use pyrotechnics at the station, and no permission was ever given. The following day, the brothers responded at a press conference. Many people didn't make it out, and that is a horror that will haunt my family and I for the rest of our lives. We have an investigation ongoing, and we need help. We need answers, and I'm trying to get them. Rhode Island Attorney General Patrick Lynch opened an investigation and convened a grand jury to determine if anyone should face criminal charges. Certainly there are people that we're looking at. Ultimately, we may target. Now in private practice, Lynch says he looked into a host of people. I don't think anybody in anything that they did wanted anybody to die that night or get injured. But does that mean it's not a crime? The answer is no. One of the angles Lynch investigated was the Dedarian brothers. They were running the operation. They promoted the event. So it was very quickly. They were in the circle of people we should look at. Over the course of the investigation, what did you learn about the way the brothers 
ran their business. Looking back on it, I would say they ran it as a side business, an attempt to maybe make some extra money with a callous, utter disregard for those that work there and assemble there. The biggest question was, why had the fire spread so quickly? To satisfy noise complaints from neighbors, the brothers had installed foam along the club's walls and ceilings. As it turns out, the foam they used was highly flammable. The type of foam was equal to gallons of gasoline. It was liquid fire. Who's responsible for that foam going up on the wall? Jeffrey and Michael Dederian. Lynch also points out that the exits were a safety issue. Inspection records showed that just three months before the fire, the Dedarians had been cited by the local fire marshal for having a secondary interior door by the stage that opened inward, which violated regulations. They were told to take it down, but the night of the fire, it was up to help cut down the noise. Not only was the door up, which it shouldn't have been, opened inward, which it shouldn't have, shouldn't have, it was covered in foam. It was also on fire. And that door being up, there is no question that that increased the likelihood that many, many more would perish. In December 2003, nine months after the fire, Jeff and Michael Dederian were in court, each charged with 200 counts of involuntary manslaughter. How do you plead? I plead not guilty, Your Honor. 100 for criminal negligence and 100 for misdemeanor manslaughter. Not guilty, Your Honor. Great White's tour manager, Daniel Beakley, also faced the same charges. He had failed to get a license for the pyrotechnics from the state of Rhode Island and permits from the local fire department. They blamed three. They should have blamed more. There are other people who should be responsible. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. In February of 2006, three years after this station nightclub burned down, many in Rhode Island were shocked to learn that instead of a trial, a plea deal had been reached with Daniel Beakley, the tour manager for the band Great White. I don't know that I'll ever forgive myself for what happened that night. So I can't expect anybody else to. Beakley pled guilty to 100 counts of misdemeanor manslaughter 
and was sentenced to four years in prison. He was granted parole and then released after 22 months. There is so much pain and heartache that happened on our doorstep. Michael and Jeff Dadarian pled no contest to 100 counts of misdemeanor manslaughter and agreed to a deal. There's so many things that factor into the decision to do that. It would have been horrific to, to have people go through this. And then we've got the pressure from the judge saying that, you know, you're going to go to jail for 30 years apiece. The brothers' plea deal stated only one of them would go to prison. The brothers decided that because Jeff had young kids, Michael would go. He spent 33 months in prison, while Jeff had to do 500 hours of community service. We never knew the whole story, because the trial never happened. So everything really never came out. There are so many people still to this day angry that the case didn't go to trial. Do Correct. you understand that anger? Uh, we, we do understand we do that understand. anger, and that's, that's, that's why we're here with you. And now, 18 years after the fire, the brothers say they want to set the record straight and reveal new information. If you have a message that you want the people of Rhode Island to hear, there were plenty of ways to get it out long before now. I don't know about that. I don't know. First of all, I don't know how you would, how would you accomplish the detail and the amount of new information in a news conference or, you know, a commercial or something that we would try and do on our own. For the Dedarians, the full story begins with the issue of permission. The brothers have always maintained that they never gave the band permission to use pyrotechnics. Was there a contract? Yes. Did the contract specify the use of pyrotechnics? No. Did not. These contracts are pretty specific, so I would think that the pyrotechnic provision would be in there. Just like we need to have, you know, 12 M&Ms, I mean, you know, and they need to be brown. According to author Scott James, Great White had reportedly used a large pyro display without permission at other clubs, including just days before the fire at a show in New Jersey. And the nightclub operator there was so angry when he saw what had happened in Rhode Island, he went public. And he even made public the contract that he had with Great White that showed that there was no evidence of fireworks that were going to be part of the show. Then there's that interior, inward-swinging door by the stage that former Attorney General Patrick Lynch says was responsible for loss of life the night of the fire. And I don't think there's any question that had that door not been up, a significant number of people would have survived. That door was meant to block the noise from the neighbors. And so when the fire inspector came in and said that that door had to come down, the door, the door did come down, but then the door would go back up when it was going to be a loud night. It didn't have a lock on it. There was nothing that would make it, so you couldn't get out of it. And according to the brothers, it was one of the first exits used when the fire started. That door was opened immediately, and that's where the band went out. But that door became impassable almost within seconds because clearly there's foam that's burning at 1800 or 1500 degrees and then it just got engulfed in fire correct you weren't approaching that area at all and then there's the foam the fire spread so quickly because rather than fire retardant sound foam on the wall of the club was highly flammable packing foam. 
That is correct. Undisputable. The brothers sent a fax to the phone company specifically asking for sound foam. But what they received was highly flammable packing foam. The brothers say, wait a minute, we ordered sound foam. How is it our responsibility if they gave us the wrong foam? First of all, I think it's pathetic, disgusting, and unsettling to think that they're even speaking now. The foam that they put up had a direct impact on the survivability of the bulk of the people that were assembled that night. The Dedarians say that in the three years they owned the club, no one ever questioned the safety of the foam. And they're quick to point out the club was inspected by their insurance company and multiple times by the local fire marshal, Dennis LaRock. He finds the deficiencies, you have to correct the deficiencies, and then signs off so that you can get your liquor license. That happened in 2000, that happened in 2001, and that happened in 2002. The brothers have since learned that the fire marshal should have tested the foam on the wall. The field test is crystal clear. You take one square inch of the foam, you hold it up with a roach clip, and light it on fire with a wooden match. That's what the code says. That specific. Did he do that? Zero. None of the inspections and then follow-up inspections. If he had done that, then he would have obviously have said to us, Take this stuff down. This, this is stuff solid down. gasoline. This is, this is flammable. You can't have this. When LaRock testified before the grand jury, he claimed he never saw the foam. The brothers, however, find that hard to believe, considering the foam covered the walls, ceiling, and even the inward swinging door he cited as a violation. Did he do his job perfectly? Absolutely not. According to Lynch, under Rhode Island law, the fire marshal could not be criminally charged unless there was evidence of bad faith or malice. While troubling, while concerning, maddening, it doesn't mean that somebody should be charged or can be. If the brothers are relying on the fire marshal to tell them whether or not they can continue to do business, and he says you can, isn't that an important fact in determining Who's at fault? Again, any reference in this conversation about what the brothers say, I, I, I take a step back and think, I don't really trust it. But many, including the brothers, feel strongly LaRock should also have been charged. Why is it okay that the fire marshal is allowed to miss something or make a mistake? And what he did was just an oops. But what we did was criminal. And why wasn't the foam company charged? The brothers say there was evidence that the grand jury never heard. What do you think about the Durdurian brothers speaking out now? Two years after the fire at the station nightclub, the Dedarians learned about a piece of evidence they say is important that was never presented to the grand jury. This eight-page fax sent to the Attorney General's office anonymously just months after the fire entitled, The Fire, The Phone. They got this fax and it went on to describe the business practices of the phone company. Investigators eventually discovered the fax was sent by Barry Warner a former employee at American Foam, the company that had sent the Dedarians the packing foam made of flammable polyurethane. Warner lived next to the station 
and had met the brothers. He writes up this long, almost a manifesto about all the things that he thinks are wrong in that foam company that led to this tragedy. He wrote, this is a company that is well aware of the dangers of polyurethane foam. This is a company that did little to educate their employees about the limits of polyurethane foam. In fact, they did the opposite. When the foam came, was there anything on the packaging that indicated that it was highly flammable? Zero. No, nothing. But when Warner was called before the grand jury, he was not asked about the allegations he made in the facts. They didn't even bring up the facts to him. They didn't even let him talk about it. Mr. Warner's facts wasn't presented to the grand jury, correct? I, I can't remember, honestly. Why wouldn't it be? Uh, you're telling me it wasn't, and I don't know that it wasn't. 48 Hours has confirmed the facts was not presented to the grand jury. Regardless, Lynch points out that Dardarian still chose to take a plea deal instead of going to trial. The defendant has every right to go to trial and say, hey, if it's this mysterious facts that's trying to be referenced today, 18 years later, hey, this is important. American Foam said Warner's claims about the company are false. And while they weren't charged in the criminal case, survivors and victims' families sued them in civil court for not warning the Dedarians the foam they sent them was flammable. The company paid a hefty settlement, and they weren't the only ones. At least 64 others were also sued, including the state of Rhode Island, cited for the fire inspector's failure to report the flammable foam during multiple inspections. In the end, the survivors and victims' families settled for a total of $176 million. Great White was part of the lawsuit and settled for $1 million. Jack Russell declined our request for an interview. Eighteen years later, there is no consensus among survivors when it comes to blame. Linda still places much of it on the Dedarian brothers. They have said they were sorry. But never once do they say, we screwed up. If they stood up and said, small business owners, we were inexperienced, we took shortcuts, we screwed up, I would forgive them in a heartbeat. To people who feel that the two of you have never said, we own this, what do you say? We say that we're sorry for all of it, and if we could change it, we would. You know, a day doesn't go by that we don't think about it in some way, shape, or form. So, to the people who think we don't own it, I'm telling you, we do own it, okay? Yeah. We own it. Every day. We, we own it every day. Does that so, mean you feel a sense of responsibility? We feel a sense of guilt about what happened, in the sense that you're, you carry the guilt of knowing that these people aren't here anymore, and these people are hurt for the rest of their life. There isn't a guilt in terms of, like, that we knowingly did this or, 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 or you know, caused it, but there's a guilt of that, that we, it, it, happened, it happened on, on our watch. It happened. It happened, happened on our watch. As a human being, how do you not feel some sort of responsibility for that? Girls, look what mama's got. I could have missed it all. I could have missed my daughter's high school graduation the birth of her children. I could have missed that. My friends that didn't survive that night have missed that. 
Linda will forever wear the scars of that horrible night, but she refuses to live in the past. I think a lot of people miss out on the moments. Not you. No, not anymore. Being a survivor of the station nightclub fire is a piece of who I am. It fuels you. Ready, set, here we go. <laughs> Today, Phil is married and a father of two little girls. I'm catching up. Getting another opportunity to live my life came with enormous responsibility. It's not just about hitting the next goal, but doing something really meaningful. Because so many people that were there don't have that opportunity. In 2017, a memorial was opened to honor the 100 innocent lives that were tragically lost in the station fire, including Tracy King, who died saving so many others. I'm so proud to say he's my brother. Hey, Trace. That's my buddy. My parents taught us a lot, a lot of things. One of them is never say die, never give up. Miss you, Trace. Tracy died, never giving up. of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. At Amica Insurance... We know it's more than just a car or a house. It's the four wheels that get you where you're going and the four walls that welcome you home. When you combine auto and home insurance with Amica, we'll help protect it all. And the more you cover, the more you can save. Amica, empathy is our best policy. Nora O'Donnell in our nation's capital. We're here at the White House with the President of the United States. Thanks for having me. Our exclusive access to the presidential platform. We will witness yet another moment in history. The CBS Evening News with Nora O'Donnell from Washington, D.C. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the 48 Hours podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be peaked 
by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from best-selling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to Counterclock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.